0: Discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. Today, we are speaking with Lisa Jewell, the number one New York Times bestselling author of 19 novels, including The Family Upstairs, And Then She Was Gone, as well as Invisible Girl and Watching You. Her novels have sold over 5 million copies internationally, and her work has also been translated into 28 languages. That is quite an impressive and exciting bio. But today, you have The Night She Disappeared is out in the U.S. Can you tell us a little bit about this book?
1: Yes. So this is number 19 my 19th novel. And The Night She Disappeared is about a teenage couple called Zach and Tallulah, their parents, teenage parents. And one Friday night in the middle of summer, they go to the pub and leave their baby boy with Tallulah's mother, Kim. And at the pub they meet some of the posh kids from the local boarding school in the village where they live who invite them to a pool party at this crazy mansion out in the countryside so the last Kim hears from Tallulah is a text message saying we've been invited to a pool party, is it all right if we stay out late then Kim never hears another word from Tallulah again so Zach and Tallulah go missing in the middle of the night in the middle of the countryside at this crazy mansion and then the action starts a year later when a new head teacher starts at the boarding school in the village and his girlfriend is a detective novelist and on her first day exploring the grounds of the boarding school she finds a cardboard sign nailed to a fence with the words dig here scrawled on it and an arrow pointing into the soil Uh, So, yeah, so she finds something buried in the grounds that sort of brings this whole cold case back up to the surface.
0: That hooked me in. I'll tell you that the the sign dig here was really like my dream come true. I've always wanted to be in the woods and see a (laughs) sign that says dig here. Like, mm, what, treasure, bones, what, what will this be? And you mentioned Tallulah doesn't come home. She texts and says she'd like to stay out late. But that's not like Tallulah to go missing like this for any period of time. So Kim is nervous right from the start and rightfully so. I think.
1: Yeah, so Tallulah's a, obviously a young mum, which is a lot of responsibility for, for a 19-year-old girl, but she's also just a really clean living responsible mature together mother whose ultimate goal is to just better herself and be a be a wonderful mother to know so Kim knows yeah. that when they can't find any clues to the disappearance of this couple the police assume and lots of people assume that this couple have just w- wandered off because they can't deal with the responsibility of having a baby so young but Kim knows that that's nonsense she knows that Tallulah would never never abandon her baby yeah
0: yeah so this novel is populated with Exactly the kind of women and girls that we love to follow in our stories. There's Talula, as we've talked about, her mom Kim. There is the complicated new friend Scarlett. and of course Sophie, the prime novelist. Very different people, some mothers, some not. Which of these characters kind of came to you first, or maybe was it part of the plot that came to you.
1: Yeah, so actually you saying that you like that dig here sign and that really captured your imagination, that was the first thing. I had this idea that this is one of the books where setting came first. Sometimes it's a person that comes first that I want to write about, but with this one it was, I wanted to write a book set in a boarding school. Never done that before and I thought it would be fun. And the minute I decided to set this story in a boarding school, I just thought, well, obviously something's happened at this boarding school. What might it be? And I just envisaged this sign, this dig here sign. It just appeared in my I had like a little gift from the writing gods. So that that's <laughs> what triggered the whole story was... Um, and so... Did Sophie come with that sign or no, did she so, come later? So I imagine that something untoward had happened between, I like this idea of the juxtaposition of these very, very privileged, entitled children who go to this boarding school in the countryside. in it's a very well-to-do commuter belt village juxtaposed against the kids who grew up in the village, the local kids, the kids who run the local co-op and mm. what have you. So I, I assumed that something untoward had happened. And I like this idea of these two different, people from different worlds colliding and so the the first thing I had was a girl from the village would be the one who disappeared or something had happened to her something to do with this dig here sign I don't I don't really know what I'm doing when I start writing a book I Mm -hmm. have a very very vague sense so actually it was Kim who came first because I thought it's a village girl She's gone missing, I don't know where she is, and and certainly the reader doesn't know where she is, and the police don't know where she is. So let's start with Kim's point of view and watch her panic and unease as she realizes that her baby girl has not come home. Yeah, sure, well that makes sense. You had mentioned the kind of the posh,
0: the other group, and Scarlett kind of gave me, I don't know why, I kind of had Brad Pitt vibes, right? Like this kind of rough around the edges, but so appealing and yeah. like you just want to be near them and what's going on there, but also is it okay? And, you know, she just gave me those kind of vibes. Was- yeah,
1: I deliberately painted her as, I didn't want her to be that sort of cookie cutter, high school cheerleader right. type. I wanted her to be one of those girls who's alpha female, but is, as you say, rough around the edges. She almost looks like she could smell a bit, like she hasn't had a shower for a couple of days. (laughs) Well, they've said that about Brad Pitt. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And her, her nail polish is always chipped and she dresses like a boy. Her hair, her roots are always growing out. She's always got some zits around her mouth. So she's got all this stuff that makes her typically unappealing. But She's also got this overwhelming charisma and this sort of something, you know, magnetic magnetic about her that means that everybody just follows her around and just wants to be where she is.
0: Yeah. And we see Tallulah get pulled into that force as well. Yeah. Uh, but you're working with three timelines here. We're seeing Tallulah get pulled into that force a year before she goes missing. Then we're seeing Kim walking us through when she doesn't come home the same night. And then we're with Sophie a year after that when she finds the dig here sign. How, especially as you've already said, you don't even know what's coming. How do you work with these different timelines when you are just making the story up as you go? Really literally.
1: Well, it's actually those timelines that enable me to write without having a a plan because if I was writing the whole story, if I'd written the whole story from Kim's point of view, I'd have so little to go on. All I would know about what happened to Tallulah is what Kim knows happened to Tallulah. So the minute you start bringing other timelines, other points of view into the story, you've got other people. I'm talking about me as a writer. I, yeah. I've got other people introducing me to new facts, new perspectives, new insights. And I write those chapters as they appear in the book. So I do sort of alternate between the characters points of view so each chapter that I write informs what happens in the next chapter and I would find it really difficult to go from Kim and then straight into another Kim chapter because I think well I've only got what Kim showed me <laughs> she's, it, that's it all she's got. Me. yeah so I need to go and talk to another character and say okay what have you got because I don't right. know what's going on and I need you to give me a bit more insight into things so it's actually even though it might read as if it's a very complicated structure for me that's the only way I can do it yeah. Uh, without a plan like that's the only way I can do it is to have as many different people and timelines going on as possible without confusing the reader obviously right
0: well I was gonna say you really write like a reader yes. you know you start us here okay Kim wakes up Tallulah's not home what happens and then we're like okay let's what does happen what happened where is Tallulah where is she in this yes. inner mindset right now and um yeah you re- that's interesting really writing as a readers yes. with a
1: reader's I mind I no. That is exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what I do. I always imagine I'm probably, in terms of my sense of what's going to happen next, a, a chapter ahead of the reader. Generally, <laughs> sometimes, I, sometimes that. on a good day, I'm, I might be two chapters ahead. But generally speaking, right. I'm a chapter ahead because I don't know what's going to happen in the next chapter usually. So yeah, and it is. It's akin, and this is why I like to write really fast and propulsively and not stop. And not sort of mull things over or think too hard or break off and do some research. Because I want to almost have that sort of, I'd call it binge. I know readers binge read my books. and Urgency. Uh, with that, yes, but that's so yes, yeah, so I like to write I don't want to waste time doing anything because I, if I'm not writing then I'm not working out what's going on and I need to work, I need to know what's going on just as much as a reader does so. I love that I love
0: that switching from reader to really writer there's a line near the end of the night she disappeared when one of the characters I won't I'm not going to say who is involved but I will tell you that the core of your quote realizes that another character quote has been taught how to love by people who don't know how to love and that everything she thinks is good is actually bad. That quote really struck me that we can love, we can want to love, but may have been taught by people who don't know how to love and they're doing it wrong. And then we're doing it wrong. And that kind of cycle perpetuates. And I wanted to know what that line means to you and why you wanted to give the readers a little bit. It's pretty hefty you know, line yeah, I at the end.
1: I guess I, I always just want my readers to understand my ambiguous characters, my dark characters, my characters who are doing wrong things and bad things. always want my reader not to necessarily be on their side, but to understand them and stop and take a step back and think, okay, yeah, I get now why you might have behaved like that or said that or performed this dark deed. So it's always really important to me to get that across on the page. And it's also just to, to show the contrast as well. We've got so many different sorts of family in this book, so many different sorts of mother, in fact. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of mothering in this book. There's some very toxic mothering in this book. And there's some really nurturing, beautiful mothering in this book as well. So I guess that sort of informs that as well. It's, so the reader can stop and think about how they might have been mothered and the impact that that has on themselves and people they know and obviously the characters inside the book.
0: Yeah, because when you think of mothering? You think of the things you need to do for the children and love seems just implicit, right? You will love your child. This is the common idea, but no one thinks am I loving them in the right way? Am I loving them in a healthy way? Or it's a more, it's certainly a more recent part of the dialogue, but really wasn't for a long time before that. It didn't how you love them doesn't matter. It's just that you love them is what it's important. And Yes. It's not always true.
1: It has repercussions. Not always true, but there is, I mean, without any spoilers, there is this whole sequence of events that unfurls towards the end of the book, which shows a mother who has not loved her child properly, Mm -hmm. desperately trying to protect her child. But again, in doing so, just destroying everything because she just doesn't have the wherewithal. And it's all about her ultimately. Yeah, it's really interesting being able to write about about different sorts of family dynamics, but particularly different sorts of mothers. So you recently had a book published in the U.S. Speaking of dark
0: characters, this is what you recently had a book published in the U.S. After 12 years, it had already been out in the U.K. At Melody Brown is getting a new life, which must be exciting for you to see. But in that time, you've written rom-com, contemporary fiction, psychological thrillers. Can you tell us about the evolution of your writing and how that came to be?
1: Uh, Yeah, well, I think bearing in mind that I started writing my first novel when I was 26 or just turned 27, in fact, and I'm now 53. So clearly anything's going to evolve over a time. You would hope. Yes, you you would hope, wouldn't you? (laughs) So for me, I'd always imagined that if I wrote a novel and it was something, it was sort of tucked away in my back pocket as something that I might like to do at some point in my life. And I imagined I would do it when I was middle aged. I imagined I would get married, raise a family, then sit and write a novel it would be very very dark and maybe even very literary and that's what I always imagined would be the case but I had this very fortuitous conversation with a friend when I was 26 who made me a bet to write a novel and I took her up on that bet and I wrote three chapters of this novel that even when I was writing those three chapters I thought this could be really dark but actually when it came down to writing that novel I was at a point in my life where I was just crazy in love with the guy I'm married to to this day and I was young and it just I wanted to write a novel that reflected my life at that time and that's what it ended ended up being and it ended up being marketed as what was a huge thing at the time on the back of Bridget Jones, which was this chick uh, phenomenon. Yes, so yeah. I got thrown into that basket the lit basket which was good for me and I can't complain about it It got me a lot of coverage and a lot of readers and of course that was uh, my first book was a a massive success over here in the UK which meant that my publishers would quite like me to give them a similar book next and then a similar book next and it wasn't until sort of six seven eight books in when my sales started to sort of slow down a bit and I could tell that the spotlight wasn't on me so much and that was actually as much as it's slightly concerning in terms of do I have a long-term career in writing? Is this going to be it for the rest of my life or will I have to think of a plan B? It was also amazing because it gave me a bit of breathing space and that chance to sort of push the boundaries a bit, which I did. So sort of from probably from Melody Brown actually onwards, I've been sort of pushing a little bit away from romance and into family sagas and then out of family sagas and into psychological thrillers and Every time I've been waiting for someone to say, please don't do that again. We don't like it. <laughs> and nobody nobody ever did. Everybody always said, that's awesome. It's brilliant. Quite so, the opposite yeah, now. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so that's how I did it. Just book by book, boundary by boundary, just pushing a little bit each time until I, here I am today writing, yes, quite dark, twisted books. So. That is so interesting. It, it connects with the story of your bet, right? You were
0: between jobs at that time, and mm-hmm. you were just going to go back and and start looking for the same thing. And you took that opportunity to to try something else. There's a freedom in that uncertainty. And it seems you always grasp that. Yeah, well, it was
1: actually my friend. My friend, the friend who made me the bet said, because I had had lost my job and I was absolutely devastated because it was a really sociable job and I had loads of friends and I was heartbroken. And she said, she said, you know, a lot of people see losing their job as an opportunity to really change their lives and jump into doing something they've always wanted to do. Isn't there something you've always wanted to do? And because I was a drunk um, and... (laughs) And B had just read High Fidelity by Nick Hornby. I found myself uh, saying, well, I have uh, always wanted to write a novel, but, you know, obviously I can't do that until I'm old and experienced. Uh, right. So, Yeah. So it was absolutely that sort of little pocket, all the things that happened, all that serendipity and God knows what would have happened if I hadn't been out of work at that time and hadn't had that conversation with that friend and hadn't then actually taken her up on the bet and read right. those three chapters, all those things. Yeah. She might've
0: pointed it out, but you seized on on that opportunity. Yeah. So I've heard that story. It's a fantastic story about the bet, And then I think of that as the inciting incident. We already know the end of the story. The end is... You heard this bio, books. 19 <laughs> novels. Yeah, 19 novels, you know, a long time getting to work in this industry where people are given less than 15 minutes. I'd love to hear a little bit more. Anything you want to share about the middle of the oh. story, right? You have something or you.
1: Well, I have sort of rambling thoughts. I don't have anything I don't have anything concise to say because nobody's <laughs> ever asked me that question before, but I am I have a very strong awareness of how it felt mm. the middle the middle bit. Oh yes. well, what was so confusing around those middle years was I could tell that my writing was getting better and better. And the feedback I was getting from my readers and my publishers and the press was getting better and better. My reviews were getting better. Everybody kept saying, oh, this is going to be a bestseller. This is going to be a huge hit. Oh, they're going to go make a movie out of this. And then I would like watch my contemporaries and some of them would sort of leapfrog ahead and I think what is it what is the thing what is the thing I have to do how good does my mm-hmm. book have to be what is everybody waiting for because the people who got me got me entirely and yes. were just sort of like waiting for it to happen too so it was just this well I was I felt like I was holding my breath for years and every single time i deliver a book and my publisher would say this is amazing this is incredible we're going to do this we're going to do that and then it would sell oh my, oh my goodness me compared to oh, I, mean, yes. I know there are thousands of authors out there who would like cut off a limb to have the same sales that I had when I wasn't selling as well as I'm selling now. But it was this kind of a strange time, that middle bit. And I couldn't quite see where it was all ending up. But I stayed really, really positive. I, I never became resentful or jealous. I was just curious. It made me very right. curious about right. the, way, the way that the publishing industry works.
0: <laughs> That's a question. Don't bother. It'll. There's no point. The publishing industry doesn't know how it works.
1: The publishing industry in has one. no idea how it works. And forget about Hollywood. Oh, yes. Yeah. Publishing industry wakes up every morning and just hopes for the best and just sort yes. of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <just> like, <laughs> but yeah, but I'm really, I'm really glad. I wrote some really good books during that period. And like I said, it was excellent for me to have the spotlight off me so that I could just be a little bit more experimental, just experiment a bit and not just stick to some sort of formula that I was going to keep selling a, a million copies every time. Right. But, so it was nice to have that freedom to see see what else I what could do. What else like. you could do. Right. And it's paid off in spades obviously. Clearly. Yes. So I was
0: wondering, in hindsight, do you see any themes that have emerged from your writing or obsessions that inform your writing? I know I love hearing about this, like little by little change and pushing it little by little. But I wonder now, in hindsight, do you see anything that because you've you've written so many books and so many genres, do you see anything that that holds them all together? Like this is a Lisa Jewell book.
1: I personally and I've I've never had anybody say this to me, but I feel that what makes all my books come together as one even though they are all standalone and they're all completely mm-hmm. unique from each other in many ways is teenagers ah. that's the commonality i think of certainly of my later books there were no teenagers in my early books or, or children obviously for that matter but yes, yeah, so i kind of skipped through young children when i was parents <laughs> parenting young children myself i've got a couple of books where young children feature but I didn't really have any interest in writing about that stage of parenting. It oh, didn't really, boy. Didn't really no. interest me. as no. That, no. You know, and it's all consuming, it's isn't terrible. it? Just, oh, it, it is. It, if you focus too much on, on the minutiae of, of, of raising small children, then you haven't got much bandwidth for <laughs> yes. storing anything else. So I kind yes. of skipped over that. And then when I got to the point where my children were reaching teenagehood and I could see what was on the horizon, and it really made me connect very strongly back to my own teenage self. Uh and I was kind of chomping at the bit just waiting for them to become teenagers. Oh I love it. And then yeah so that's when I started writing teenagers into all my novels. I think there's a couple that don't have teenagers in but pretty much all of my novels since the girls I think the girls is the Mm -hmm. girls in the garden it was called in the US. um, Yes. Have had teenagers at their core and i wonder if that is something that people really appreciate without even knowing they're appreciating it because nobody's ever mentioned it to me as a thing that they love about my novels but it's certainly something that's very important to me
0: yeah, well, there's something about being a teenager. You are somewhat independent. You have more autonomy than before, but you're also pretty confused about what life is. And yeah. you have really no experience as to what's coming and good decisions
1: and, and not. Yeah. Your brain isn't fully formed. Well, that's right. Yes, and I think that that's what I love about teenagers is yeah. that they can be, They, you know, they're so vulnerable and they're like, you know, tiny little delicate eggs, but yeah. at the same time, they think they're immortal. I was going to say and, they yeah. don't think that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the reality, yeah. and they're capable of anything. Yeah. I mean, think you know they're capable of anything. They don't see um, limitations. No, yeah. no, no. So yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's that's something that I think has definitely come out of my books over yeah. my career. That is a great one, really, and not
0: surprising why. When you have teenagers on the horizon in your house and then you're connecting back to your teenage self, that makes complete sense. Another thing that I have noticed in your books, and maybe you don't even think it's unusual, but families living under one roof and homes that they live in are a large part of your stories, right? Of course, the family upstairs comes to mind. Of course, there's also the dark place, which is the name of this fantastic mansion that Scarlett lives in, in the night she disappeared. Many of your US covers have actual homes on them. And even your characters are described by their living circumstances. I am just I just picked up um, yeah. Invisible Girl. Owen Pick's life is falling apart in his 30s, a virgin, and living in his aunt's spare bedroom. So again, we're deciding who he is by where he lives. And then across the street from Owen lives the Fours family. So there's so many, and watching you, of course, is... is yeah, cool. yes. So you have so much of, uh, of home as a theme and in The Night She Disappeared, a real character in the book. And I... I wondered, now I'm not sure how you'll feel about this hypothesis, but it is something that we are kind of obsessed here as astrology. And I know that you are, your zodiac sign is a cancer and cancers are... Home bodies. Very generically, they are very home obsessed and they are also obsessed about... Security in the home, and you know, keeping everyone in the home safe. It's not so much the what what the home looks like, but it's like this is their base, and it's really that's something that's really important to them. Which also brilliantly you use as a point of conflict: homes versus homes, and then people leaving home and, and disappearing. I just found that to be a very clear theme, and I thought it related very much to your astrological sign. Do you think of yourself as a Cancer or? or relate
1: to your sign in any way? Yeah. No, I I think I'm absolutely classic Cancerian. Okay. Absolutely classic Cancerian. And I am kind of obsessed with houses. I'm certainly... My own home brings me just so much pleasure. When I'm away on holiday, there's always a bit of me that's sort of looking at the sunset and the palm trees and the cocktail and thinking, but tomorrow -hmm. tomorrow I'll be sleeping in my own bed. Oh, my gosh. So I'm always happy to come home. I'm not so much the security. My husband's more like that. He, he's mm. the one who likes the cameras. I just I, I feel, feel safe just shutting my front door. Yes. I feel safe. Yeah. Yes, I, know, yes. I don't need like locks and bolts. and. No,
0: cameras. I didn't. Right. I didn't yeah. mean, uh, you know, all the bells and whistles, but just that you want. The
1: walls. The walls oh, yes. and the doors. And they're just, yeah, here we all and are. And
0: everybody in it is automatically granted this like special place for you. I, yes. I think is is a particularly uh, a cancerian trait.
1: Yeah. But that's what's so fascinating about using houses in Psychological thrillers as well because mm. that's what the house is supposed to be. It's supposed to be the cocoon that keeps everybody safe. Right. And I'm absolutely obsessed with other people's houses as well. Love my own yeah. house, oh. but yeah, yeah. You know, my favourite thing is when I take the dog for a walk and it's just getting dark and people are starting to turn their lights mm. on and you can look through their windows and actually see inside their houses and see what they're doing and see what their sofa looks like and see if anybody's talking to each other and what they might be talking about and the possibilities. That lie behind other people's front doors and through yeah. other people's windows, oh. and you know, basically, a house is just a box full of stories. Really, mm. the things that happen inside a house, are things that don't happen anywhere else apart from inside those four walls. Conversations happen that would never happen outside those four walls. Things happen, secrets, yes. and um, yeah, memories and Me- memories. history. Yeah, exactly. So it's all there in these boxes, and that's why I'm obsessed with them.
0: And in the dark place, like I said, the name of the mansion in the night she just. Appeared particularly has a really big role do you want to talk a little bit about why you were obsessed with that or what you yeah yeah
1: well that came out of nowhere I was not expecting dark place in this book but the building that I was initially really drawn to writing about was the boarding school itself which mm-hmm. is in right. itself a, a stunning building and I'd seen this boarding school in a flash through my the, the window of the car when we were driving through this village a few years ago and thought wow that's a beautiful building imagine being at boarding school somewhere like this so that's what I was going to write about but then these woods appeared in my head these woods behind the boarding school which is where I imagined Sophie would find this dig here sign in the woods behind and I thought what's on the other side of these woods I wonder where these paths lead and then scarlet came into the story and I realized that she was going to be an incredibly wealthy young girl and I needed to find a house for her the sort of house that would have a swimming pool, obviously, because that's where Tallulah and Zach went to a pool party. Mm-hmm. And this house, I don't, I, I think it was like all of my fantasy houses <laughs> just sort of piled Good. into my head at one time. <laughs> so yeah, so it's this house that was the earliest part of it. it was built in the 1600s, and then it burnt down, which is why it's called Dark Place. But then it's been rebuilt and extended and extended and extended. So it's got this sort of Tudor bit, it's got this Georgian bit, Victorian bit, and then it's got this big glass box mm. on the back and. I, I was so obsessed with this house that, that when you read the book, you, you or as you have read the book, you will see yeah. that I, I've written a Wikipedia entry for it, uh, w- it. with a whole history of, of um, the stories of the people who lived in this. So it's like a little sort of house within a house. That brought me thing, so yeah. much joy.
0: And, and I just loved the idea of people adding on to it and making it their own style, not trying to make it cohesive, but just this is what I want my house to look like. I don't know. I, that really yeah. struck me. I love yeah. that.
1: I wish it was real, but never mind. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) So I want to talk a little bit about this past year for you. As we've discussed, you've had a very long and prosperous career, but you've seemed to have gone to a whole other level with the help of a Bravo Housewife and a a strong backlist and fresh publicity energy. So for those who are not aware, Kyle Richards of the Beverly Hills Housewives recommended Then She Was Gone to her millions of followers who almost all bought the book. (laughs) (laughs) It spent over a year on the New York Times bestseller list.
1: 86 weeks. 86 wow. weeks. Wow. In the top 10, yeah. <laughs> wow. And occupied number one for quite some time. I think, yes, I think it was about six weeks at number one out of that 86 as well, yeah. And this was yeah. two
0: years after it was published. It sold yeah. over a million copies. I saw a yeah. plaque about that. On social media, you've exploded. You went from, I think, 5,000 followers. A year later, you have almost 28,000 followers. You had another New York Times bestseller with The Invisible Girl. A few weeks ago, The Night She Disappeared debuted at number one. One in the UK.
1: What has this been like? <laughs> well, this, Is it surreal or? Well, this, it feeds back perfectly to what you were asking me about the middle bit. Yeah. it was like I yeah. feel, I feel oh, like, really. <laughs> yeah I feel like I've been on the precipice of this for so yeah. long but I'm glad I had to wait for it I'm glad mm. it took so long and, and and I'm glad it all happened so organically I feel like no nobody paid for it nobody made this happen mm. it was just a process of me writing a good book. Putting it into the world, hoping for the best, writing another good book, putting it into the world, hoping for the best, and just continuously bashing away at my keyboard, making books happen, yeah. and then just the thing happened—the crazy publishing thing happened—and I, I love that it was a real housewife of Beverly I Hills. <laughs> I love that she made that happen for me because she actually posted that uh, in March 2020, mm. just as the pandemic really hit and people were just. Right. Dest- desperate for things that they could do at home and they thought
0: <laughs> I'll be home for two weeks so yes. oh, sure, I'll read this Lisa Jewell book. Exactly,
1: sure. exactly and I love that it was a word of mouth thing Oh my and it's gosh. still selling, oh. it's still, it's not in the top 15 anymore but it's still selling 6,000 copies a week, oh uh, every single week that's another 6,000 people and I'm absolutely delighted that all the people who picked up Then She Was Gone have then, not all the people but a so lot of people have gone oh, yeah. through my backlist, I mean that's yeah. extraordinary it's amazing it's just wonderful that I went I wrote these books that I thought were just here today gone tomorrow but they're finding a second life which is just fantastic
0: that is incredible and have you been able to take it in are you you're just excited about it, it seems like on Instagram you're very good at celebrating the little yeah. things every little marker, which is, I think, really important for something like that. Yeah. And maybe that's because, like you said, it took some time for you to get there. So you're really enjoying it.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I know what it feels like to put a book out there with all the goodwill in the world, with all the good reviews in the world, a really good book that just nobody really notices. I know what that feels like. So when you make exactly, you know, I'm not making any more effort. I'm making exactly the same (laughs) amount of effort as I made then. But when I know that it's going out there into a world that's waiting for it and excited for it and then it gets a good reception I'm yeah I celebrate every small moment of that because I I know what it feels like when that doesn't happen so it's just amazing
0: Well, that's fantastic. What a wonderful story. The Night She Disappeared is out in the US, but by the time this episode comes out, we'll find out how it's doing so far. But I think that this one is not going to disappoint at all. People will love it. And that word of mouth will keep going, in my opinion. If you're up for it, we'd like to ask you some kind of personal questions, not not personal, but about what you love, what you hate, what makes you mad, what kind of gives you hope, all those kind of things.
1: Okay, I'm usually really bad at quick fire questions, but try me, try me. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> no pressure that's because quick has pressure these are no
0: pressure okay what is your favorite part of writing
1: oh do you know what my least favorite part of writing that's my next be... question so ah, well it used <laughs> to be writing because I didn't used to enjoy writing because I felt like I didn't really know what I was doing and I was doing it all wrong and with every single book I've, I've learned to enjoy it more and more and just trust my instincts and just go along with the journey and have faith in myself so I would actually say now that write it because obviously writing involves a hell of a lot more than just writing I really am loving the the actual writing at the moment and always the best fit of writing is when you've I, I set myself a target of a thousand words a day so when I've written a thousand words and I shut my laptop and call it a day that's yeah. all, always hits the spot that's always uh, a, that's always a good moment
0: oh I love that a different question that's intended to be different what is your favorite part of being an author
1: Okay, that is a very different thing.
0: Yes, um,
1: I got. I just absolutely love everything mm-hmm. about my job. I really do. I was asked to do something though yesterday that I didn't enjoy, and I wanted to die while I was doing it. <laughs> um, but oh no! Ninety-nine percent of the time, I love absolutely every last thing about being an author. I love talking to my readers. Mm-hmm. I love doing things. I love talking about books and I love talking yeah. about reading and I love talking about the craft. I love my author friends. I've just had lunch today with 11 fellow female authors out in the sunshine in London drinking oh. rose and just oh, amazing. Uh, I've made so many amazing friends since I've been an author. I love the fact that I get to spend so much time with my family that mm. I'm not out of the house all the time. I don't miss things. I can be present for yeah. for pretty much everything that happens. And still uh, have in your job here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love I love being an author. I absolutely love it. Oh, <laughs> well, what what is your least favorite part of it?
0: There's got to be something that that ranks the lowest.
1: Do you want me to tell you the thing that I did yesterday? Yes, willing to share.
0: We'd love to hear. I
1: hate talking to a camera. Talking into a lens, be it a camera Mm. that someone is holding or my own phone. I hate talking to camera. Is I despise it, and I had to do one on my phone here in my bedroom in london yesterday for an american tv show where the notes from the tv company were keep the energy super high so number one i don't like talking to a camera and right. number two to have to do that with super high energy right oh uh, gosh just yeah draining perfect. yeah that sounds so not- like a nightmare other people are naturals at that it's just one of those things that you either can do or you can't do and i can't do it and i hate doing it but luckily mm-hmm. it's a tiny tiny percentage of what i'm asked to do. So. That's- that's fair.
0: Does that include publicity during I mean this time everything's on a camera but you're talking about really almost performing for the camera.
1: Oh yeah, this yeah, is yeah, fine. Yeah. I love yeah, this. Yeah. I could do this all day every day just sit and chat to people about books and writing and what have you. No, this this isn't difficult. It's it's happening to perform like you say perform to yes. a camera. Yes.
0: Um, uh, yes. Can't oh, bear I can it. see that. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> so what inspires you? Oh, just it's actually a good thing for me that I, my brain works very slowly. I have a very calm, slow brain. It's not always spinning and swirling with things. So it's not full of ideas. And I only get ideas very, very rarely once a year or so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is just as well, given that I write writing <laughs> a year. Yeah, so that's the thing. I don't know the thing that inspires me happens once a year, and it can be, for example, with this book, it was the idea of writing in a boarding a book set in a boarding school. The book before that, Invisible Girl, I wanted to write about this thirty-three-year-old virgin who sort of stumbles into an incel forum. But before that, I wanted to write about a woman who finds herself homeless on the streets of Nice in the south of France. So. It's just an idea. It's just a thing. Mm. And then everything else, I have to sort of find different strands to wrap around that initial sort of egg of an idea. Mm. So, yeah, I wouldn't say my, I'm, my life isn't one huge, swirling, inspirational <sighs> thing. It's just one idea a year. And then all the other stuff that goes into bringing the book to life is mm. just things that I've picked up by osmosis just by going around being a human yeah. being, really. Right, so, yeah. right.
0: So your life, your surroundings, yeah. all of those things you, yeah. you pull yeah. from. Yeah,
1: I, I don't write about big themes or try and answer big questions. Some people ask me what 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 would you like readers to take away from this book, and I always say nothing. Just I really hope they just enjoy reading it. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I hope they put it down and think, God, that was brilliant. Yeah, um, oh, I don't I, I don't ever have anything bigger or more profound that I'm trying to get across in my books. They are pure entertainment. And what do you do when you're stuck? When I'm stuck, I just keep going. Mm. I just keep going, and I don't, and I never, even when I'm not stuck, even when I'm just being a good writer girl and getting my thousand (laughs) words a day done. Mm. I don't ever worry about whether they seem like they're good or not, because mm. it's irrelevant whether they seem like they're good or not. Uh, the important thing is that they exist. And then I, I make mix. them better later. Yeah, make them better later if need be. But quite often the thousand words that I wrote and got to the end of the day, and thought, "Oh, those are a bit rubbish. Actually, they're fine. It was just how I felt about them. That on the day. day. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so when I'm stuck, I just write and and I don't worry too much about whether it's any good or not. And actually, what's so interesting about if you force yourself to write any old thing, sometimes you write yourself little gifts as well. Mm, Just under under pressure, you just put something on the page from nowhere and find that it becomes incredibly important or helpful later Mm. on in the book. So. Right. Yeah. What do
0: they say? They say um, the muse only visits when you're sitting in your chair. Yes. yes. You got to exactly. be doing the work. Yes. You got to
1: be doing the work. You got to have your fingertips on the keyboard. Otherwise, there's nothing happening.
0: Yeah. And is there anything that you're, I know that you have been supporting Paula Hawkins. You did a interview with, or a conversation with her and Sherry LaPena's new Not a Happy Family. Is there anything else that you're reading or watching or listening to and loving that you want to share with our listeners?
1: Oh, so I've had a really poor year for reading, not because the books <laughs> haven't been good. I just haven't had my head in the right space. And I just read a book when I was on holiday. And I can never remember how to pronounce the author's name, but I'll tell you the name of the novel and you'll know exactly what I'm talking yes. about. And you'll be able to pronounce her name for me. The plot. Oh, oh uh, Jean oh. Hef Corollettes. Thank you. Yes. 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 That was brilliant. Oh, so I read it on holiday and I read it because I'm actually doing a virtual event with her in October. Next oh, wonderful. Month. Wonderful. And I always and I do like to have read the work of of any author that i'm sharing a panel with and i guess i hadn't really read much about it or any of the sort of hype around it and i was just blown away i read it in a day it was absolutely extraordinary right yeah it was perfect it was perfect novel for me that's if every novel was like that i would i'd be reading you know 52 a year instead of 12 yes (laughs) i love that
0: we love that one as well um and right now you're working on the sequel to the family upstairs How's that going?
1: I am working on the sequel, which is very unlike me because I don't usually like revisiting characters. I usually like to start with a blank screen and a whole new cast of people and a whole new setting. But there was something about the end of The Family Upstairs that was just, Calling it, to you. Yeah, I don't want to give anyone the impression who hasn't read the family upstairs that it doesn't have a proper ending because nobody likes a book that doesn't have a proper. That's ending. right. It has a, it has a proper ending, but it also has a suggestion of you know doors closing, but also doors opening, and you could kind of open one of those doors and enter into the next yes. chapter, which is kind of what I decided to do. It took me about six months of humming and harring about it and thinking should I, shouldn't I, and I decided that I would do it. And I'm about halfway through it, and it's fun. It is fun. Yeah, um, and when no, will we see that? It will be. Well, I'll be finishing it. Um, my I always deliver um, at the end of the year, so I always deliver the week before Christmas. And so it should be out. We're going to try next year between my UK and US publishers to have a unified publication date. Oh, thank you. I know. <laughs> uh, I, that's what they're pushing for. I really hope it happens. And if that is the case, it will probably be kind of around this time, I guess, this time yeah. of year. We'll see. We'll see
0: well that is fantastic that was a lovely talking to you I'm going to give people your social media your Lisa Jewel UK Jewel with two L's and that's the same on Instagram and Facebook is Lisa Jewel official did I get that right
1: correct yeah okay yes.
0: find her on Instagram I, I enjoy your Instagram very much but I'm an Instagram person I know lots of people love Twitter but I'm an Instagram person <laughs> no,
1: no. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, a Facebook person I don't know what that means okay about me. yeah I love Facebook but well,
0: thank you so much for taking time today to talk to us about The Night She Disappeared and all of your career. It's very oh,
1: exciting. Thank you so much for asking me so many wonderfully interesting questions. It's oh, really- good. I hope yes. so. Really, really wonderful. I've really enjoyed every minute of it. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate.
0: If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life and the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media.
1: Tag us with your favorite
0: books, TV
1: shows and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at popfictionwomen or on Twitter at pop underscore women.
0: For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com
1: and keep it complicated.